Well, good morning, everyone. As I get set up here with all my stuff. Ah, it's good to be with you. I promise you, if um, you hang around Randy Schmore long enough, you will get used to his dad jokes <laughs> and his humor, which you really do grow to appreciate at some point, I think. <laughs> uh, but no, I'm so grateful for him. <laughs> but sign up, musicians, whoever you are, sign up. Um, but it's a joy to be with you this morning. I um, am not always in this role, but when I get to, it's, it's a joy for me. I consider it such a privilege to be able to bring the message this morning, to give you maybe something to think about. And one thing for sure is that when I have this opportunity, God always seems fit to let me sit in whatever I'm bringing for a good long time. <laughs> and I don't think that's by accident. I think that there's, there's some beauty that comes from that, from whatever life experiences you happen to be in, um, and also just sitting in his word. And I can tell you this morning that after sitting in the word for the last several weeks since Randy and I asked me to do this, you have been on my heart. You have been on my heart. And Jesus has been on my heart. And I'm here to tell you this morning, if you don't hear anything else, Jesus is everything. <laughs> he is everything and he's beautiful. And so I hope that that's something that you'll take with you. But as I was preparing, um, I've been watching The Chosen. Has anybody watched The Chosen? I really like it. I, I know there's people that love it and there's people that don't. And whoever you are, be who you are. But as I've been watching it, one of the things that I really love about it is how real it makes the disciples, how real it makes Jesus as well. But the disciples, I don't know, maybe it's because of all the flannel graph I grew up with at Sunday school as I was growing up, but I always kind of picture the disciples as kind of floating above the ground a little bit, like they were just a little better than the rest of us humans, right? And the, the chosen has brought that down into a reality of these were just men who had attitudes and stuff and com competitiveness and jealousy and all the things that we humans deal with. And as I was thinking about it this week, I couldn't help but think of um, the Peanuts cartoon. Are you guys familiar with that? Please tell me you're all not young enough to not know who the Peanuts are. Okay, Charlie Brown, Charlie Brown Christmas. Okay, you're tracking with me? All right. Well, one of the cartoons in particular, so this cartoon is made up of this little bunch of people. <laughs> and for whatever reason, there's no parents ever around. And the teacher's voice is nothing but right in the background. And it's these kids trying to figure things out. And I thought, huh, that kind of is like the disciples, <laughs> right? This ragtag group of people. Some of them are siblings. Some of them are just friends. Some of them kind of know each other through each other and get to know each other better. And they become this little group. But one cartoon in particular stood out to me. And Lucy and Linus are in it. And Lucy and Linus are siblings. And I don't know about you, I, have, I come from a family of five kids. I'm right smack in the middle. And I know a few things about sibling rivalry. <laughs> and oftentimes, I started those things <laughs> in sibling rivalry. But Lucy and Linus are talking in this particular one. And Lucy says to Linus, you could never be a doctor. You know why? And, and Linus says, why? And they're kind of always bickering, these two, right? And, he, and Lucy says to him, you couldn't be a doctor because you don't love mankind. To which Linus looks at her and shouts out, I love mankind, it's people I can't stand. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but I can relate to Linus sometimes, right? 
I love mankind as people I can't stand. And I think the disciples would have said the same thing. I love mankind. I want to do all these things that God has taught or that Jesus is teaching us. But I can't stand people sometimes. And sometimes they're the very ones I'm walking with. And we find ourselves reflecting in that, right? And that's not like, you know, I'm not asking for big confession time right now to stand up and say, who do you not stand? <laughs> but also to just take an interim look, an inner self look. Is that me sometimes? And, some, and sometimes am I the person that people can't stand because of the way I've behaved? And so this week we're going to be going on I need a little drink of water. We're going to be going on in John, um, where we've been spending quite a bit of time. And we're going to be looking at John 13. And this has been really a beautiful time together, I think. I don't know about you, but each week I feel like I fall in love with Jesus just a little bit more. I understand his heart just a little bit more. I don't have all understanding, but I understand it a little bit more. And I mean... You know, as, as Jesus is walking along and, and teaching these, he's done all this ministry with them, right? We're coming to the place now where Jesus' public ministry is coming to a close, and he's got just a few more hours, a few more days with his disciples. These ones who, once in a while, I think he might have wanted to say, you blockheads, will you get this? Like Lucy saying to Linus, will you just get what I'm saying? But we're coming to a close and we're entering into this time called the Passion Week. The last moments that Jesus has with his disciples before he's headed to the cross and he knows his time is getting short. And you can almost begin to feel the urgency of him going, I got a few more things that I need to make sure you get before I'm not with you. So please listen. Don't be blockheads. Absorb what I have for you. And these were people, mind you, that Jesus loved. In all their blockheadedness, he loved them. These were his people, the ones that he poured himself into, the ones that he invited along the way to follow and watch and learn. He loved these people. And so I want you to hear that as we start. And John 13 can be a place that looks pretty familiar. We've probably been like, yep, read that, done that, kind of know what's coming, typical sermon, they're all the same, right? We all do that <laughs> with different parts of scripture. But I wonder this morning if we could just maybe take a deep breath and allow ourselves to submerge into the story a little further and see if maybe we can find ourselves in the story in some way, maybe fresh and maybe new. And so this morning, I'm going um, to just kind of guide us through this. I'm going to walk us through this a little bit, and then we're going to sit with it, and we're going to have a time of reflection and I'm going to lead you in kind of a guided meditation, and then we're going to take communion together, okay? So that's kind of how the flow of the morning's going to be. But even as I'm just sharing some thoughts that God laid on my heart this week, um, would you just kind of submerge yourself into the story, if you will, and try to find a fresh place? So are we ready to do this? Yes. All right, let's do it. All right, let's start in verse 1 of John 13 where it says, Before the festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to, to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And let's just stop right there. 
Jesus knew his hour had come. If you remember, there was plenty of times where he would say, my hour has not yet come. Don't ask me to do things that I'm not ready to do yet. But now it's saying as Jesus knew his hour had come. In chapter 7 and 8, there were times where, where the crowd did not seize him and no one seized him because why? His time had not yet come. And now there's a shift. And his hour had come. And Jesus knew it. And he loved these people, as I've already said. They were his people. He loved them to the end. His relationship with them is different. When it says that he loved his own, it doesn't diminish that he loved everybody. It doesn't diminish John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. But when love responds to love, there's something that's different. And there's a deepness and there's an intimacy there. And that's what we're getting an eyewitness look at. We're being able to look in a little bit from the outside and see what that love looks like. So let's keep going. In verses 2 and 3. Now, by the time of supper, or some translations would say during supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. Let's just stop there for a moment. One thing that stands out to me in this so much, and as I was reading it over and over and over, we do a lot of, a lot of times around here we talk about our identity in Christ, right? Where are we rooted? Where is our identity? It shouldn't come from all these outside sources. And here we get a picture of Jesus' identity. It says, Jesus knew the Father had given everything into his hands. He knew what was coming. He knew there was going to be a betrayal coming. And that he had come from God and he was going back to God. There was no question in Jesus' mind at this point of who he was. This isn't a time in his life where he's going like growing up going, what does all this mean? <laughs> he's come into understanding, security. He spent time with his father. How often does it say that he went and got alone to be with his father and to allow that time to nurture him and to remind him of who he was, his identity was so beautiful and so secure. And as we go on, we're going to start in verse 4 here. And this might be a time where Randy would put up that slide that he did a few weeks ago that said, you read the Bible too much. And this time of foot washing might be one of those times where we go, been there, heard it, wash each other's feet, do the things, follow the example, right? And we even imitate it by sometimes holding the service like that. <laughs> And I'm not saying that foot-washing services are bad or that we shouldn't do them or that they don't have their place. They do. But I wonder if there's more. I wonder if we unpack it just a little more, if we can find some things. So let's look at verses 4 through 11. So he got up. So this is Jesus, who's secure in his knowledge of who he is. He got up from supper, laid aside his robe, took a towel, tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash his disciples' feet and dry them with his towel around him. He came to Simon Peter, who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, What I'm doing you don't understand now, but afterwards you're going to know. You will never wash my feet, ever, Peter said. Jesus replied, If I don't wash you, you have no part with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then not only my feet, 
but also my hands and my head. One who is bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, but he is completely clean. You are clean. You all are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him, and this is why he said, you are not all clean. And so what's going on here? There's a lot of beautiful symbolism happening in this, and there's a very staccato kind of rhythm to even how the writer explains this. It's something that stood out to him. And now, mind you, this is the only gospel where it's not talked about the, the typical communion setup, right? Of this is my blood and this is my body. John, the author of John, is remembering in particular this foot washing time, different than the other synoptic gospels. So it may be that he was at another dinner, <laughs> that there was more than one, that there was one during the week. There's all sorts of different talk of why. I don't think that's the most important part. I think the most important part is that he particularly remembered this and recorded this, okay? And there's something in it for us. And so there's a staccato kind of sound to this. Jesus rose from supper. Jesus laid down his garments. And it kind of goes in a cadence, if you will. And I think the one thing that we're seeing here is Jesus taught a lot of times in what? In parables, right? And sometimes people got it and sometimes they didn't. <laughs> Those that had ears to hear understood. But what was happening here? Jesus rose from supper, a place of rest and comfort, Jesus rose from his throne in heaven, a place of rest and comfort. Jesus laid aside his garments, taking off his covering, his outer garment. Jesus laid aside his glory, taking off his heavenly covering. Jesus took a towel and tied it around him or girded himself in it, some translations say, being ready to work. Jesus took the form of a servant and came ready to work. Jesus poured water into a basin. He was ready to clean. Jesus poured out his blood, ready to cleanse us. And then we'll see in verse 12 in a little bit, Jesus sat down again after washing their feet, and he sat down at the right hand of God. He sat down at the right hand of God after cleansing us. And so you could say this is a parable in action. Jesus was wanting them to get something. He was saying, you know, you don't understand what's going on now, but you're going to understand it fully. Because the cross hadn't come yet. But he knew that he would be sealing something there. And yes, he displayed the, the lowly servanthood, um, which we often grasp and go, yeah, we need to wash one another's feet. But in that moment, he was also pointing to the glory that would be his, the glory that would be embodied in the cross. And they didn't get it yet. And he didn't condemn them. He didn't, he didn't talk to them and say like, Oh, man, you guys, like, this is easy. You should be getting this, <laughs> and you're not. But in that moment, the form of God was not exchanged for the form of a servant. Rather, it was revealed in the form of a servant. And so even though they didn't get it at the time, even though when they were there, Jesus was saying, you want to know who my father is? You want to know who God is? He's one who comes to serve comes to serve. And I'm asking you to do the same thing, to come to serve. And if you notice, the room is quiet, <laughs> at least it seems, until he gets to Peter. Ah, Peter. Maybe Peter was like Linus. I don't know. <laughs> but Peter always seemed to talk at the most inopportune times, didn't he? 
But I'm so glad he did because he asked the questions that so many of us would have had. And we can be so hard on Peter and think, why didn't you get it? You got to walk around with him. But he comes to Peter and Peter says, you will never wash my feet. Not ever. And Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you'll have no part with me. And I think that in that moment, I can almost picture Jesus' eyes of, oh, sorry, I always touch that thing and I'm not supposed to. Um, um, I can almost picture Jesus kind of rolling his eyes going, oh, Peter. <laughs> oh, Peter. And he washes his feet. And what Jesus wasn't doing is he didn't go to every disciple and go, wow, look at the muck on your feet. Where have you been? What's been going on that your feet are like that? He didn't point it out. He didn't, he didn't come to Judas and go, I know where your feet are headed. He was quiet. But then Jeter, or Peter says to Jesus, you'll never wash my feet. And maybe in that there was a moment of pride in Peter going, all of you should have said this. You should have pointed out that our master shouldn't be serve, serving us and washing our feet. We should have stopped that. You should have stopped that. Maybe there was a bit of pride in Peter in that moment. Because after all, who is Peter? <laughs> this is the same Peter that walked on water. This is the same Peter that was at the transfiguration. This is the same Peter that was said, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. And Peter still needed his feet washed. And I wonder this morning as we're here, if we can hear the same echoing statements even. We're going to mess up and we're going to need our feet washed. We're going to hurt people and we're going to need our feet washed. And we're going to allow things and people and certainty and all sorts of other things to become idols in our life and we're going to need our feet washed. And Jesus was saying to him, you don't need your whole body washed. You believe who I am, and that's going to be sealed and done on the cross. And in the next several weeks, we're going to go towards the cross, and we're going to learn more about it, so I'm not going to spend tons of time there this morning. But Jesus is saying, all of that belief, like all, it's all been taken care of, it's finished, is what he said on the cross, right? It's finished. So you don't need to keep being bathed. You don't need to keep coming back and saying, like, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. But you're going to have stuff in your life that is going to get your feet dirty, our hearts dirty. Those places where Jesus says, you're going to have to keep getting your feet washed. You're going to have to keep working out your salvation. Right? And there's a difference. It doesn't mean you've lost your salvation. It means that there's going to be sin in your life. Things that you allow to come between you and me that need to be cleaned up. And it's going to be an ongoing thing. And so, Peter, you've got to get used to that. And Peter might have had a hard time receiving that. I know I have a hard time receiving that sometimes. I have a hard time receiving anything. <laughs> right? I can give out. I can help. I can do the stuff. I can go and, and manage and all the stuff I have to do. But to sit and receive... To admit that I'm needy, that I need someone to come alongside me and raise up my hands when I can't, to pray and have my back, to wash the muck out between my toes <laughs> when I'm messed up. 
We need to be cleaned. We need to be cleaned. And so as we go on, um, in verse 12, let's see if there's anything else to unpack here. It said, when Jesus had washed their feet and put on his robe, he reclined again, and he said to them, do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and this is well, for I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. I assure you, a slave is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed, but you are blessed if you do them. I'm not speaking about all of you. I know those I have chosen. But the scripture must be fulfilled. The one who eats my bread has raised his heel against me. I am telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am he. I assure you, whoever receives anyone I send receives me. And the one who receives me receives him who sent me. And so what's going on in just that short little thing? One thing that I think that I see is um, where it says in verse 17, if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. We take that many times as the church and as followers of Jesus, and we go, I just need to follow a good example. And it was a great example. But we think, oh, well, if we just hold a foot washing ceremony, or if we just do and kind of manipulate this kind of situation to happen, that's what he was asking us to do. And I, folks, I think we're missing the point when we do that. Not, again, not that I'm saying that anything is, is bad about that. I've been a part of foot washing ceremonies, and they're beautiful, and they're intimate, and they're, there's beautiful things. And don't worry, I'm not going to call any of you up here to be the one person who gets their feet washed. But that's not the point. He's going to do these things continually. Let this be an example over and over and over again. Because, guys, I'm going to be gone from here at some point very soon. And you're going to be kind of like that Peanuts gang, walking around with no adults, <laughs> so to speak. And I want you to have some things figured out when I go. And so he says, he says this, do these things over and over, do these things. And then there's that weird part in there that says, um, I know those I've chosen, but the scripture must be fulfilled. The one who eats my bread has raised his heel against me. And what Jesus is doing there is he's quoting Psalm 41.9. And he's saying, just so you know, you that are going to be faithful <laughs> to me, I know that this is coming. This isn't taking me by surprise. He's kind of affirming his authority there in some ways of saying, I know this is going to happen. Nothing happens here that's like going like, oh, where did that come from? Wasn't expecting it. He knows that that's going to happen. But he also knows, and he's saying in verse 20, where he talks about the sending, whoever receives me, receive, or receives you, receives me, and the one who sent me, all of that. He starts talking about sending. And I think he's telling the disciples, you are not going to be exempt from this. I know that there's somebody here in this room that's going to betray me, and you are going to have people in your life that are going to come and they're going to betray you. And it's going to hurt. And you are not exempt from it. And so I want you guys to get that you need to keep short accounts with one another. You need to be reconciled to each other. You need to be walking with each other in this. Because I'm sending you out. 
as a little gang <clears throat> in my name. And things are going to happen to you. And I want you to be ready and not think that you're not going to be a part of this. <clears throat> so let's go on and see what happens as Judas's betrayal is predicted, as it says there, if you have a little a title above your scripture, where it says, when Jesus had said this, he was troubled in spirit, and he testified, I assure you, one of you will betray me. And the disciples started looking at one another, uncertain which one he was speaking about. And one of his disciples, the one Jesus loved, notice he doesn't give a name there, could have been one of many people actually, but he says, one of his disciples, the one Jesus loved, was reclining close beside Jesus. And Simon Peter motioned him to find out who it was he was talking about. So he leaned back against Jesus and asked him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus replied, it's the one I give the piece of bread to after I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas, Simon Iscariot's son. And after, Jesus, after Judas ate the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Therefore, Jesus told him, what you're going to do, do it quickly. None of those reclining at the table knew why he told them this. Since Judas kept the money bag, some thought that Jesus was telling them, um, go and buy what we need for the festival, or that he should give something to the poor. After receiving the piece of bread, he went out immediately, and it was night. And so what was going on here as this was all playing out in the same room. Mind you, like it wasn't like they had moved. <laughs> it was still here. And I think that this sets into motion. This is the commencement of the consummation of everything that Jesus came to do. Everything was going to accelerate quickly from this point. And so Jesus knew that someone was going to betray him. It says right there in verse 21, when Jesus said this, he was troubled in his spirit. He wasn't unfeeling. He wasn't unfeeling towards Judas. It troubled him. And that same word of troubled, if you remember when, um, when Jesus was at the grave of Lazarus, and it says that he was troubled, and he actually wept. It's the same word. He was troubled. And I think Jesus was troubled more for Judas's sake than for his own. He was looking at Judas going, man, I've loved you. And I know what you're about to do. And he was troubled. And that just, to me, is such a beautiful picture of God's amazing grace. <laughs> but it gets better. Because as, um, as he was handing Judas this bread, what was this dipped bread about? Like a lot of times, people kind of just jump to and assume like, oh, he dipped it in the wine and he was doing the whole, this is my body and this is my blood. Maybe. But he also could have just been taking a piece of bread from the meal, dipping it in the food that they, had, they were sharing together and handing it to a person who was actually sitting in a place of honor. Because you see, they were probably sitting around a table kind of in a U-shaped or a circle um, with three people on each side kind of thing, and their feet out behind them. So even when, they, when Jesus came to wash their feet, he didn't have to crawl under the table and try and pull their feet out of their sandals and shove them into a basin or anything. Their feet were back behind them, easily accessible and exposed. And as he was, laying, as they, he was sitting there, they were probably kind of laying down on their side. And so 
John being next to him, um, who we're going to assume John is the beloved disciple at this point, and he, was, he laid his head back and said, who is it, Jesus? Who's going to betray you? And it seems as though it was said kind of quietly between he and John, Jesus and John, and Judas, telling us that probably on the other side of Jesus was Judas, a place of honor. So even knowing that he was going to betray him, he was in a place of honor. And Jesus dipped the bread and he handed it to Judas. And in that moment, I think God and Jesus through God was extending an emor- just an enormous picture of grace, saying, Judas, this is your out. You don't have to take this. But he had heard whoever I hand this to, and he took it, and I don't understand all the implications of that. I don't understand what snapped in Judas at that moment to allow Satan to fully enter. I don't understand it all. I really don't. I try to sometimes, and I project what I would be feeling (laughs) a lot into that. But there is a place of mercy that is being shown. Jesus saying, Judas, you don't have to take this man. And you know what? If Judas would have said, nope, I'm out. I'm I'm not taking it. I'm not going to be that person. Jesus could have figured that out, right? He could have figured out the way to the cross still. He knew that, but in his love and his mercy for those that he loved, he extended grace. And you guys, that is a picture of grace that I want to think I can understand. I want to think that I get that, that I would do the same thing, that in a time where I know somebody's going to betray me or I know that there's something really big between us and it's going to come down ugly, that I could reach out with a piece of bread and so much mercy to say, I still love you and I think that God's bigger and can work this all out but how often do I take it into my own hands and I cast the judgment instead but it says then that after receiving the piece of bread he went out immediately so while the bread was still flavored in his mouth he left and it was night and you can almost feel the darkness in that moment And then it goes on to say in verse 31. Verses 31 and 32, it says, When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and he will glorify him at once. And when I read that, all I can say is glory, glory, glory. (laughs) That is a lot of glory. And like I said, we are going to be talking about the cross in the coming weeks, and so I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. But what Jesus was saying is like, you have set into motion all that is going to glorify me, and that is through the way of the cross. And that is one of the biggest mysteries, and I think sometimes Jesus is okay with allowing parts of himself to be a mystery. I think he challenges our idol of certainty. And he goes, you don't understand it right now. As he even said to Peter when Peter said, don't wash my feet. He said, you don't get what I'm doing, but you're gonna. You're gonna understand it. And it's gonna be for all time. It is finished when that happens. And there is beauty that comes from that. And there is glory that you don't even begin to understand right now, but you will. 
and you will even be called as I send you to the point of death. You don't get that right now, but you will. And so I'm going to leave the cross for the next sermons <laughs> ahead. But as we finish out this one today, I want us to look at the rest of the chapter here, where it says in verse 33, Jesus talking says, Children, children, I'm with you a little while longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come. So now I tell you, I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You must also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And can you picture in your mind that moment, what that must have been like? I picture Jesus almost wanting to go and just take each disciple's face into his hands and whispering, children. He wasn't insulting them by calling them children. It was such a tender moment. Children, I'm not going to be with you much longer. And I want you to get this. And he was tenderly aware of their dependence on him and of their present immaturity still at this point. Even though for three years they had been walking with him and seeing all the things that he had done, hearing the sermons, hearing everything that he was doing, watching him heal, he loved them. And he's like, children, I still want you to get this. I'm only going to be with you a little while longer. And where I'm going, you cannot come. And those words right there would have been like an earthquake to them. So jarring. What do you mean? We've given up everything to follow you. And for three years, that's what you've done, we've done. And now you're saying we can't go with you? And he's going, children, you don't understand right now. But you will. You will. And then he says to him, I give you a new command. And that word there, new, is the word Canaan. K-A-I-N-E-N. And it implies a freshness. And he's saying, I have a, a fresh commandment for you. Love one another. And you might think, that's not fresh. <laughs> he's been telling them to love a lot. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. These are the greatest commands. And he says, and now I have a fresh one for you. Love one another. Love one another. Because this one, this one's probably going to be the hardest one. To love one another. Just as I have loved you. Just as I have just extended the hand of mercy to the one that would betray me. Love one another. Love one another. And this isn't just... Um, just like a, a moment and like a, an emotional thing. This was Jesus going, children, I'm with you for such a short time. And if you don't get anything else, because this conversation goes on, we're going to be in this conversation for a couple weeks, several weeks probably, as we look at John 14, 15, 16, and then the prayers of 17. This conversation goes on for a little bit in this upper room. And he's going, before you can even receive the rest of the, the stuff I have to say to you, I need you to get this. Love one another. When your feet get messy and your toes get stepped on, 
love one another. And that doesn't mean just submit yourself to a lot of toxic things. But he's saying, hey, you who are calling yourselves my followers, you're going to step on each other. And you need to learn to love one another. Love one another as I have loved you. You must also love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I'm sending you with a message. And if people are going to believe you and you're not loving one another, your message is going to be mute. Nobody's going to be able to receive that because they're going to look at you and go, oh yeah, how's that working? So love one another. Love one another. And the rest of the, the chapter there closes out with Peter talking again <laughs> and saying, Jesus, why can't we go with you? I would lay down my very life for you. And what does Jesus say? Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times, Peter. And I'm telling you, you got to get this. You got to get this love stuff. So let's pray this morning. Oh, Jesus, it can seem so simple in so many ways. that you set this beautiful example for us and you, you washed the feet of your disciples. But even in that, there's so much beauty, Lord. Because as you washed their feet, you didn't get to each disciple and call out their sins loud and proud for everyone to hear. You just washed their feet. we try to memorialize that in so many different ways. Saying that's all there is to it. We just got to wash feet once in a while. And yet we hear your voice calling us to forgive. To make space for differences. That ragtag team of followers of yours there are forefathers. We're just like them. And we have competitiveness in us and sometimes jealousy in us and things that get in the way between our relationship with each other and with you. And you remind us that you've wiped it clean. <laughs> when we've believed what you've done for us, that you came, that you died on the cross, that you set things to right, that you reconciled people to yourself. It was done. And it doesn't need to be done again. But oh, there's those little offenses. Those things that come between us, that separate us from each other and from you. And you remind us that we need our feet washed. And you show us the beauty of extension of grace that is beyond anything we can even imagine. How it troubled your spirit when you knew what was coming from Judas. And yet in your amazing grace, your arm was extended to him.
That is beauty. And so this morning now as we come and we prepare our hearts for a time of communion together, I just want to encourage you all as we're doing that to attend to your body a little bit. Maybe put your feet on the ground in a flat manner. Uncross your legs, relax your shoulders. And ask God to help you surrender whatever it is that God wants you to do. What does he want to do in you today? What does he want to say to you today? Breathe slowly and deeply. And let those things come to mind. And as you let them come to mind, quiet your mind as much as you are able. Yes, we hear the voices of children and we love that. But as much as you can, quiet your mind. And let these words of meditation and these questions that I'm going to pose to you move through you. And as new thoughts come, even if they're tangled with joy and pain and all sorts of things that you don't even totally understand right now, trust that you will. And hold them gently. And then set them aside to heal as you breathe. And lastly, as you kind of prepare yourself for this time, open your heart. The word vulnerability actually means able to be wounded. And resistance to being vulnerable is natural. It's normal. So take a moment and notice it. And as you notice it, with the sacred breath that is in you, push open the gates. And in your mind's eye, look at the one who gazes at you with infinite warmth and affection. And breathe. And now just sit with these questions. I'm going to just kind of place some questions before you. And if you want to linger on one as I move to the next, that's okay. This time is for you and the Holy Spirit. I want you to allow yourself to be in the presence of Jesus in the upper room, in this space that we found ourselves this morning. And even as you go there, what food has been laid out? What does that room smell like? What does that room look like? What's the mood of the room? Is it jovial? Is it subdued? Is it relaxed? Is it tense? Maybe it's a combination of all of those. But how do you feel? And as you watch Jesus rise from the table and remove his outer garment, can you sense what's happening in your heart 
as he stands up to do that? What's going on in your heart as you see him rise from the table? Does he want to serve? How does he feel? What do you feel as he ties the towel around himself and he pours the water? What is moving in his heart? For to love is to extend oneself for the good of another. To love is to say with our lips and with our bodies, you take precedence. And so as Jesus kneels before you, how do you feel? What is it like to receive this loving service from Jesus? What is Jesus washing away? And as you feel the tender touch of his hands on your feet, what are you receiving from Jesus? Genuine love means care, affection, recognition, respect, commitment, and trust, as well as an honest and open communication. Genuine love, the self-giving love that Jesus offers us and calls forth from us, expresses itself in service. Reaching toward the other for the good of the other. Such service does not create debtors, but partners. We are no longer locked in an economy of exchange. We are not servants, but friends. This is what loving us to the end means. Jesus loved us into friendship. And I want to ask, who in your life has loved you into friendship? And what does such love make possible in you? And now I want you to, to wonder and to think about Whose feet are you going to wash? And remember, it's symbolic. We're not asking you to get up and wash people's feet. But whose feet are you going to wash? And what are you hoping they will receive from your washing of their feet? And who do you imagine coming to you and washing your feet? Who are you hoping doesn't come to wash your feet? And I have to ask why. What needs to be addressed between you? Can you let go of that resistance? Can you hold it gently? Can you set it aside in the place to be healed? Can you receive and accept that person's loving service to you?
And as you sit with any of the questions that I've just put before you, I want you to speak with Jesus in your own heart. Tell him how you feel about being served or about kneeling at the feet of another. If you noticed obstacles to serving or to being served, will you tell him about it? Speak to him as a trusted friend, an equal. When he is called to follow him. And then after you're done talking to him in your heart, I want you to fall silent in a place of listening. And just notice any word or phrase or image that rises up, that bubbles up. What might it be saying to you? What is the invitation being extended? So I'm going to encourage you to sit with that for as long as you need to. And as you feel your time is drawing to a close, just take a breath and savor God's loving presence. And then as you're ready, I'm going to encourage you to go and take communion. There's two stations set up on either side in the side aisle. And I'm just going to encourage you to go by yourself and to take the elements. Maybe you want to sit on the side and just reflect or you want to come back to your seat and reflect. And then Nolan's going to lead us in a song close our time together. But I want to encourage you to not leave this space until you've done the business with God that he wants you to do. That you've listened to that Holy Spirit. And so if you need somebody to pray with you, if you need somebody to come alongside of you because you're just not even sure how to do this or you have something that's just really heavy on your heart, I've asked two of my friends to be available in the back. Both Ian and Mary Ann are back there and they would love to pray with you. So can I encourage you to not leave this space? If you need prayer, let's lay aside that resistance and let's ask one another for help and receive from one another. So take some time now, pray, and then help yourself to communion.